the jobs that are now going to be on show or needed, our children will not be able to fulfill them because we are not being taught the right skill sets around finances, around technology, around gaming, around blockchain. So therefore, if they're not going to have the skill sets to fulfill those future jobs, and these low-end jobs are going to be taken up by AI, what's going to happen with our children? Let's get this story out there. Let's inspire some people, you know. That's, that's, my, that's my middle name, inspiration. Cool. All right, let's kick things off. Mm. If you had to describe yourself, yeah, in one sentence, if someone said, who's Dexter? One sentence. How would you describe yourself and the impact that you make or try to make? The Manelli and Marcus Garvey. Why do you say that? Because I've... That's my idol. And it's now. It's the Millennium, isn't it? It's like the new now new edition. Yeah. So, you know, if you say Marcus Garvey, a lot of people don't even know who that is. And then if I say Marcus Garvey, a lot of people would um, compare to what he done then. But you can't compare to what he done then when he put together um, a million black people without social media. So if I say I put together a million black people on Instagram, it's not as powerful. So I have to say I'm the millennium, Marcus Garvey. Nice one, brother, man. Mm. Nice one. So you you got a very varied background. <laughs> very, very varied. <laughs> when I'm looking at your background, from the drugs and that when you were younger to the music to the whole Moolah Cake empire. Yeah, yeah. To like the tech. Yeah, yeah. You've had your hands in a lot of different pies. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, the other day I was on a podcast and they called me a... Oh, I forgot what her name is anyway. But basically, someone who's always there through generations. I forgot what it's called. But yeah, I have. I've had to rebrand myself. I've had to pivot. And I've had to create something from nothing on various occasions. So throughout the whole journey, it's always been a test of my character. Test of time. And um, a test of... Myself, my life has been a test and how I've lived it has been my answers. Mm-hmm. All right, let's take it back then. Talk yeah, about cool. your, your upbringing. What was your, your what was the area, what was the situation like? You know, the, what was the, the environment like? Maybe your family situation and what do you feel like there were some specific factors that, or things you went through when you were growing up that led you down to the path that you went down when you was Yeah, most definitely, you know. When they say you're a product of your environment, I definitely can um, resonate with that. Um, but you don't have to end up a product of your environment. So you can become a product of your environment, but you don't have to end up a product of your environment. So I say that to say this, my upbringing was very tough, but the toughness created my tough skin. My tough skin created my resilience. My resilience created my character. So going back to growing up in Kennington, and in Brixton, <sighs> to say the least, if we just talk about A-class drugs, domestic violence, fraud, drugs, robberies, police, house raiding, there's not much I haven't seen, been through, slept through, you know, and I used to want to make that be my driver. But I realised it couldn't only be my driver because it's not my story. It's my life that I lived in, but it's not my story. So when I used to say, 
yeah, my mum this, my mum that, my dad this, my dad that. Now I've come to realise that they had their life and they was going through what they was going through. They just had a child at the time. So that child had to come along on the journey. So I don't wrong them for anything. I don't resent them for anything. I actually feel super proud, which is a weird way, that I went through all of that because I don't think I'll be the person, I know I wouldn't be the person I am today without that. What kind of a life were you living? So, I lived in over 21 houses by the age of 12, you know, age of 14 maybe. I lived in over 21 houses. Um, I say my house got raided more than twice a month. I say I've seen parents' blood on the walls. I say I've, you know, I've had to walk to school I've had to take cab to school, you know. I've asked my parents, or should I say, I've asked my dad, is our house worth a million pounds? Because of how much money that I've seen coming through our household and how our house was decorated in such up-class fashion. And I've also asked my dad if we're gonna die because I haven't eaten for three days and there's cockroaches everywhere. So, you know, I've seen both sides of the fence. And again, trying to find yourself as a child, as a teenager, whilst living under those extreme circumstances, it's difficult. Because, you know, when you go to school, people don't know what you've just come from. And when you're going through what you're going through in your bedroom, people don't know what's going through your mind. So now when I've become older and I've chosen this whoop of life, I am a real proof of the pudding. So I don't have to question, ask, have opinions. I'm telling you facts that I know that children are rebelling, are rebelling because it starts from the household. And there's a lot of things that people don't know which is causing trauma to our youth before they've come out, before they've gone to school, before they've picked up that knife, before they've turned to drugs. So... One of the sayings I like saying is children don't learn from what they're told. Children learn from what they see. And if majority of what they see is negative, unfortunately that child will become negative. What was your mindset like growing up? I was very scared. Um, I never knew if I would make it to the next day for many reasons, whether it's, whether it's my parents, if they're going to wake up from the situation they was going through, or if I was gonna get into a better place in life, or if I'm gonna have a good day or a bad day. And that was strange, cause it's only now I'm speaking about it and it's coming out so fluent that I understand, that now I understand it, what I was going through. You don't know if you're gonna have a good day or a bad day. You don't know if your parents are gonna be in a certain situation or not in a situation. You don't know if you have to go to school, if you don't have to go to school. You don't know if you're gonna have money today or not. You see that uncertainty, it breeds anxiety. So I had a nickname as Panic when I was a kid. So yeah, it was all funny, Mr. Panic. He panics a lot, but you don't know why. You don't know why I don't like loud bangs. You don't know why if a balloon bursts or if a door slams, why I'm a bit wary. Because yeah, I've really been through this thing. I've really been through it. 
It's quite interesting when you talk about it like that. I feel like when you're oftentimes, you know, like when you're in it and you're mm. going through stuff, you, you don't really know. No. Maybe it's like a day-to-day thing. You're just, you don't even really understand. But when you get older yeah. and you look back and you can look back and be like, okay, wow, okay. like I'm a soldier. Mm. I'm a warrior. What? What I lived through. What I went through. And then if you start going into teenagers, when you will start getting into it, you'll start realising how strong I actually am. Because what I was surrounded by was vicious, was overwhelming, to say the least. Mm-hmm. So when you say you were surrounded, like, sounds like it was mad. Like, was thick. loads of different houses and all sorts of stuff. Thick. You're going through. Was that, was, were you introduced to like life of the drugs and I'm guessing that's other crime and gang stuff and that kind of thing were you introduced to that life through family or through yeah I wouldn't I I wouldn't even say it was through friends it was definitely through family you know and I want to pull it out there just in case it slips my brain because it sometimes does and I'm very upset about it both my parents are now clean they have been for 10-15 years now Um, my mum's a community leader and she champions elderly helping them on the internet and stuff and my dad is a Michelin star chef in Mayfair. Was, wow. So you know, like, I have to take my hat off to them. Of course. And it always makes me know that it's never too late to change. But if we were to just quickly, quickly surface over what I went through with both of my parents on crack cocaine and heroin, and it was, it was, it was like traumatising because you don't, like you said, I didn't know I'm going through it. So I don't know where my temper came from. I don't know where my panic came from. I didn't know where, a lot of things. So when you say, was I introduced to it from friends or family? No, I saw drugs cause of my family. And I mean, very close. I mean, I had cousins that saw drugs to my parents. So, you know, we don't get over these traumas, but people don't speak about that part. Because when you're from the hood or when you're from the black community, things happen, do you know? Yeah, things happen, but do you know how it affects us? Do you understand? I don't think I've ever really spoken about my family members selling drugs to my family members because no one ever looked at how it's going to make me feel as a child. Do you understand? I've come home and had more presence than, without even guessing, but three of your Christmases put together, I've had more presence on one day. And I walked in my room and I said, let me not touch nothing. Let me just go and ask, are these all mine? But then I've also walked in my room and seen nothing is empty because my pet, my dad sold all my stuff. So I've seen both sides of the fence and it's very hurtful. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's nuts. My man's with this song. You know him, Soros? Yeah. Now he's a Christian. I think he's a youth pastor. Or I have to manage him. Um, oh, serious? Yeah. Soros I started a lot of Soros's career. I used to like mm. his music, man. Uh, but he's got a track and he talks about how, um, I think he said he sold, co- sold cocaine to his brother. Yeah. In one of his tracks. Yeah. This man, when you're talking about family members selling to your parents as well. Yeah, yeah. It's just nuts, man. It's proper nuts. And you see, yeah. that's why in today's society, I've got empathy, but it's very hard for me to have understanding because I don't know what's happening in people's households and I only can see what they portray. And then I only can talk about what I've been through to have a kind of comparison. But even though they say... What's little to me may be massive to someone else. That's the only reason why I would say I have empathy. But on a level of how drugs was then when it hit UK, crack cocaine and heroin, to how drugs is now, 
I think we have more troubles with knife crime and more troubles with single parents, <laughs> let alone our parents being on drugs and our cousins smoking crack cocaine and our cousins robbing banks. Not many people grew up like that. So uh, talk about how you first started to get into the selling drugs yourself and mm-hmm. just in general, the street yeah. crime and all that kind of thing. Well, like you say, well, like I say, children learn from what they see, not what they do. So majority of people around me were selling drugs. Taking drugs, selling drugs, being around drugs. So as far as I'm concerned, <laughs> I have to be involved in drugs somehow. The first thing I learned was not to take drugs. So I can say, hand on heart, I've never taken an A-class drug in my whole life. Whether it's pills, ketamine, diesel, anything. I've never taken nothing, sniffed anything in my whole life. And that's possibly because of my parents, you know, thinking, yeah, I've seen what it does. You know, they say never get high on your own supply. I've seen it. It's real It's real talk. So I knew not to take drugs. Cool. So then I thought, okay, I can sell drugs. Now, I've sold nearly every, not nearly, I've sold every single drug in the book. And, you know, it starts from a little bit of weed, then it might go into, you know, a bit of A-class, then it might go into something else, something else, whatever. But all the way through my journey, I always was very conscious of what I was doing. In terms of, when I sell weed, I'm selling weed to people who want to get, who want to be calm, or who want to chill, you know? When you sell crack, you're selling it to someone who might go and break into someone's house. When you're selling heroin, you're selling it to someone who if they don't have it, they're gonna be sick. So I've always had a different kind of view on drugs and understanding the detrimental effects that it has to a household because I had a household that was heavily affected by it. So I went through stages of selling different drugs and understanding this is a way of making money but there did come a time when I realised, okay, you can make money off anything else, which obviously we'll get to in the conversation, and that's when life changed. But drugs is not good for so many reasons. You know, it brings bad karma. It leads you to prison. It gets you into arguments. It affects people. It, it leads to people to want to envy you and rob you. It leads to you thinking that it's legal. It's brain manipulating. It's, it's proper not good. Drugs are not good. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, definitely. We'll definitely get into the stuff, like some of the more recent things you're working mm-hmm. on as well. Because you, with you, I think it's good to set that context as well because you've proper done this like negative to positive. And do you know why I think it's crazy? I, was a, I wanted to put my story in a paper one time and they didn't want to put me being an award-winning entrepreneur into the paper because they said to me, was I in a gang? And I'm like, no. Then they said to me, cool, did you used to carry knives? And I'm like, no. And I'm thinking, rah, I wonder if I should tell them I used to be involved in guns, though. No. Because why should I need to tell you my negative side of my life for me to highlight my positive? So when you've just said it, I've now come to realise, okay, that's the kind of bit why people want to respect me more because I really lived it. I wasn't no fake bad boy. I wasn't no fake drug dealer. I was I was in the trenches. I've done country. I've a lot, do you know what I mean? And now I respect that why you want to know that side is because we have to highlight, you can change. We have to highlight, no matter how deep you are in it, you can go out the other side. 
whether it's taking the drugs, clap um, hats, hats off to my parents, or whether it's being a prolific drug dealer like I was, to being a award-winning entrepreneur. So yeah, you are right. It's very good to set the context. Mm. Uh, if you're listening in and it's a bit choppy, it's because we had a couple of tech issues. We're jumping back into it, man. Jumping uh, right back <laughs> in it. You know what I mean? So where were we? So what I think I was what I was saying was that when I see people that do a full on 180, oh, yeah. I find that so like it's it's very very commendable especially sure. if you're coming from the streets yeah. and you've done that and you've come into something legit because the legit thing is there's a lot of hoops you gotta jump through a, a lot of red tape and it's not easy especially no. when you've already been doing something you know how that works you know i can get quick money yeah you don't have to go through all the distress mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and i commend that a lot man because it, it i know you have to hustle it takes so a lot it takes so much because like you said it takes so much to know that if this don't work, that you're not going back. That already is a struggle. Because I know mm. once this stops not working or looks like it's not going to work, guess what? I'm going back, bro. Because mm. I know that works. I just, I've never looked back. How mm. did you start to transition? What was the transition period? And was the music the thing you transitioned into? Mm. Music was the thing I transitioned to because you know what it is? I'm very, I'm a visionary. And a lot of people don't really understand where my vision comes from. I watch giants. I don't watch normal people. So the giants I've been watching for years are um, like Warren Buffett or Richard Branson. And that's what Mudicate's based on. Mudicate's based on Virgin, which obviously we'll get to. But music, I looked at America and realized, yo, there's man leaving the streets because of selling mixtapes. And then there's music that's selling, that's making man money. Then one day I walked into my friend's house and he was making music. I'm saying, right, what do you mean you're making music? He said, yeah, microphone and that, rapping and that. Let's play. Right, that sounds good. So what? Can I do voiceover like, like DJ Clue? And I can be like DJ Blue, you get me? Like DJ Blue, Blue. Like, yeah, come then. I made a mixtape. Now, what happens is when I say I'm a visionary is I do like Matrix. So at that moment, it went raw. Let me get that program, pull it on my laptop. Yeah, yeah, let me get the program, pull it on my laptop because I'm going to go around and plug the mic in my laptop and go around and start recording people. Yeah, because I can go to all the gangster areas because I'm a gangster and I'm a road you. Yeah, you lot are not allowed in these areas. You lot can't get this North man and this West man, this Peckham man. You lot can't do what I can do. So I'm going to go and do that. And then the price of my mixtape will be more valuable because it's got people on it that people don't know, people can't get. You can't go into the hood and get these rappers. You know what I mean? And then off the back of that, I started realising, hold on, sell these mixtapes and make money. And I'm in music. You know what I mean? And that's how that kind of begun. I wouldn't say I stopped selling drugs at those times. I was using the drug money to, to fund certain mixtape stuff because there was no music industry. Excuse me, when I'm recording those mixtapes, people didn't even believe in their self when they're rapping, you know what I mean? And then let alone the shops wasn't really taking your CDs unless they was packaged well. So I had to invest in CD burners and printers and cutters and stuff. and. You know, we had to learn. Like I've come from the real the concrete. You know what I mean? I've really come from the concrete. And the more I've done music, is the more I realise it can pay. You know, I started picking up a Sony camera. 
and started filming and I was going to do a DVD called Blue 60 Seconds of Fame. This is way before Streets Incarcerated and Risky Roads and all these things, you know what I mean? I was, it wasn't even just about music. The DVD was going to be about 60 Seconds of Fame. So I had people doing breakdance on there, people singing, people doing football kick-ups, all stuff. But then I just started getting more and more into it and realising products, CD, DVD, sales, sales, same as selling drugs. Hold on, I don't need to sell drugs. I found a product. <laughs> and it went from there. And then I got more and more into it, more and more serious. You know, I risked my life putting gigs on my mixtape. You know, people wasn't even listening to gigs. Gigs is the landlord of the UK right now. People wasn't listening to gigs, they were listening to colours. They were listening to slums. I'm saying, oh, this deep voice guy, no, 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 my guy, you get me? Little connections on the road with my cousins and things. I'm saying, yeah, let's... um. Let me put him on my mixtape, but raw. I'm from Brixton. You're not meant to be putting Beckham boys on your mixtape, dog. I got phone calls. You get me? But this is when I'm trying to transition, isn't it? I was a rude boy. I was a bad man and all that stuff. Cool. So that's why I don't get moved to straight away. I get calls. And I'm telling man, bro, I see a bigger vision. Like, we don't need to beef Peckham. What's the Peckham beef about? You tell me. And couldn't really tell me. Rare, rare, rare. I'm not hearing rare, rare, rare. Because rare, rare, rare is not paying my bills. So I'm setting the new music scene. UK has a music scene. I'm going to create it right now. So I started PDC. And I won't say I started PDC because, you know, Jaja, Archer, Quinny, certain names that people don't even know was in PDC, started PDC. PDC started as a crew, you know, pill them crew. You understand? A couple of them went to prison and stuff. And I started them off on music. You know? <laughs> yeah, I started them off on music, you know? Real stuff. You know, just picturing it now. You know what I mean? And bought studios and made PDC start getting a buzz in the hood of rappers, the best rappers in South. And then this happened and this happened. And then SMS was born. And then this crew was born and that crew was born. Everyone was on my mixtape and Mikey Millions mixtape, and then Dark and Cold in West End, and yeah, a little scene started building, you know, there was already a little soul solid, there was already a garage scene, but I'm saying, no, 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 UK rap scene. Yeah. And then we went into music from there. Well, I got a couple of questions off of Please. that, yeah? First of all, what was the mindset shift from you wanting to start to transition to leaving the streets into going into the music? I realised that Streets is never going to win. I watch films properly. Like, I watch Scarface. I never wanted to be Scarface. Do you see it? I didn't want to be Tony Montana. I wanted to be the big don. He said, don't mess with me. You messed with him, he sent for you. Then you don't see him again. I realised who is the real gangsters in the films. I don't want to be a gangster. That's dead. I, I don't know no one who wins. Like, I know all the bad men. From Brixton, I'm talking men. I can name them, people know. The Bishes, the Peter Baileys, the Donovans. The, I, know the, I know the guys. You see it? They never won. So I thought, yeah, I ain't trying to beat this. I'm trying to, I'm trying to win. <laughs> I'm trying to win. I don't need to pretend I'm from the streets. I'm from the streets. I don't need to pretend I've, I can do stuff and um, road stuff. I'm road. But I've never done this side. 
I've never known no one to do this side. I want to do this side. And as far as I'm concerned, the second I become good at this side, I'm going to teach everyone over here how to do this side. Do you get what I mean? So the, my mindset was, I didn't know no winners. I'm looking up to, to, to businessmen now. I want to know how to do that. And yeah, on the UK rap thing as well, because mm. we're talking about like the garage scene was coming about. It yeah. was, um, the grime scene, I don't even know, probably like grime is later. Grime. 03, 04, when that started to bubble, I think. Grime came out. 02? When did um? I can tell you exactly when it came out. So I invested in Channel U. Oh, you invested? Are you, you're in the documentary. That's why. The originals one. That's why. Because I was, I put my money, me and my business partner, shout out Carter, put our money into Channel U Music Awards. Channel U done a Music Awards in Hammersmith once and once only, and we funded it. So yeah, our logos was all of that and stuff like that. But um, the question before Channel U again was what again? Um, well, the question I was trying to, what I was getting to was just asking about the the UK rap team because we yeah. had like Garage, you know, yes, Grime, came before, yeah. You so see, when Grime came, that's what it was. Rap. Grime came out when Wiley made that song. What do you call it? it oh, Urban. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What do you, so whenever that song came out on on Channel U, <laughs> yeah. that's when he made us sure that everyone knew that there's this new thing called Grime. It's not called Urban. It's not called Garage. It's not called Two Step. It's called Grime. <laughs> so what I'm getting with that, yeah, is that like so with. Like the guys in the south, you guys were doing rap, and rap. nobody else was doing in the UK like that. Anyways, no that's one was how doing it was. rap yeah. like that. And then when you parallel that to, because that's it's pioneering in itself. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? But then when I parallel that, looking at your background and stuff you're doing now, even to like the Black Tech Day, yeah, where that's like way fast forwarding a lot. Yeah? yeah, yeah. But that's pioneering in and of itself. It's like all different type of. No, so what you're gonna find is, without blowing my own trumpet, I'm a visionary, and I see things in ten year spans. I've only understood this because I've lived it. So what you're saying is, and we're going to get to that is, you pioneered music, then you pioneered clothing, then now you kind of pioneered community, and now you're going to pioneer tech. Yeah, that's my vision. I saw it in 2002 that we can have our own um, music industry. No one believed me, so I put in my work. I spent over nearly half a million pound in music over that 10 years. Um, Done clothing. I said, no, we can wear our own clothes. We can make our own clothes and wear our own clothes, like Dipset and that, you get me? And rare, rare, rare. Because I remember Scissor, and I remember Hypnotic, these drinks, and that's when I knew that, right, hold on, we can build our own drinks, we can have our own films. You lot are crazy, we're wasting time being little petty drug dealers, you know what I mean? So again, I've done clothing for 10 years. Again, loads of people came and went, and people started to believe. Again, through that journey, I started doing community, meaning having a registered charity getting some funding, putting on family fun events, doing things for the kids, after school clubs and these stuff. Now people believe that. Now we're here again, beginning of of the new journey. Blockchain, technology, cryptocurrency. Yes, I'm pioneering it again. That's where we are. Yeah, because you've done done a lot, man. As well as your own businesses and that. I know, like, the kids, I think, forgotten exactly, name, Moolah Kids. Moolah Kids Club, yeah. That's the one when you was open from eight to six, right? Eight to six. And hot food for the kids all day. Hot food for the kids. That's, like, very... And I appreciate you even um, noticing that because a lot of people just think it's a holiday club. No, you just said something very detrimental. It's from eight till six. When you understand why... Because women or parents have to work. They get to work at nine. They can't start dropping their kids off at nine. They need to drop their kids off before. They finish work at five. I can't collect my kid before five. So we had to think about 
how many hours we are open for. But more importantly, the focus of our entrepreneurial workshop-based holiday club is based around helping change the mindsets of kids. And how am I going to do that when they have so much heavily influence? I calculated how many hours does a parent have a child for? How many hours does a school have a child for? I need to have a child for longer than those hours. So a school hours is six to eight hours. A parent is four to six hours. Our club is 10 to 11 hours because I need to penetrate their positive mindset through our club. Yeah, pro- and that's proper, what the club stands for. Pro- proper good, man. Proper good community work. Like, mm. proper. That's, that's, that's sick, man. Like, hats off to yeah, you. I appreciate you, man. For real. Um, on the, the music side of things, how did you learn the music, the business side of it? By always understanding that music industry is not called the music industry. The music industry is called the music business. So when you understand that music is the music business, it's not the music industry, you realise that music is only 10% of the whole equation. Business is 90%. So through my learning business, through music, is what made me become an actual award-winning entrepreneur and a businessman. Because I realised, hold on, hold on, hold on. After the artists write the song and record the song, their work's kind of done. Because they don't have to do their own photo shoots, write their own profiles, get their own bookings, do their website, do their promotion, do their marketing, do their management, do their... Hold on. So I need to learn 90% of the business. And learning that made me understand how important business is in any situation. Because we only see the footballer, the artist, Mm. the main front person. No, 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 no. Think about a watch. Everybody sees the time. But nobody understands the mechanism that makes that time work. You see it? Yeah, yeah. There's a lot, a lot of things happening behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. And then, what did you with the from the music into the moolah, the clothing was the first thing, isn't it? Yeah, really yeah. Good, yeah. So I see like a natural transition actually. But what did you take from the music? Like, what lessons do you take from that that you applied into the moolah and then some of the other businesses that you've run since then as well? Good question. First thing I can tell you straight is brand affiliation. It's one of the biggest lessons I learned. So in music, I used to run an entertainment company called Industries Entertainment. It was the industry in the streets. And what happened was, so it's two words into one. So what happened was is I used to have a nice logo, which included the London Eye and the Gert King and stuff. And a lot of people liked our logo. So we used to print it as uniform. And eventually people started to wanting to buy it and stuff. I was thinking, well, everyone wants to buy these T-shirts and that. This is mad. Another income. But then what happened was, was, nope, lost the trade of thought. What was the question again? Um, the lessons you took from... The lessons, yes, no, the brand affiliation. So when everyone started wanting to wear it and that, I started doing more of them, printing more of them instead of just having staff wear it. And what happened was very detrimental is, remember I said I'm from the streets, not a joke. So my family, my cousins, my friends, they're really out here. So they wear it. But then once other street people, because remember I'm proper from the street, see them wear it, they don't want to wear it. So I got phone calls, like, raw, yeah, man, man not wearing that, bro. Like, I tell you straight, K-Coke phone man talking about, no, nah, I'm not wearing that, that's a, that's, that's a Brixton thing, that's them man's thing. I'm like, no, 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 no. It's not no one's thing, it's my thing, it's my business, it's my company. I put my blood, sweat and tears in it. And it made me really upset, because there's rumours out there 
that it's a Brixton thing, it's a gang thing. And I thought, rah, there's a lesson I need to take from this. As much as he wears Nike and he wears Nike, when you're on the come up, brand affiliation is very important. So the answer to your question is, when I got into Mulocate clothing, the first thing I said is, I'm not making just any and anybody wear this. Or should I say, I'm making just any and anybody wear this. I'm not making known people wear it. So I never made celebrities, gang gang members, or anyone who's affiliated to the street wear it and get highlighted more than the ordinary people. So I made sure I executed 86 pop-up shops in the first year and a half, which is equivalent to one pop-up shop every single week for a year and a half to make sure normal people wear this clothes and a lot of people can see normal people wear it so it's not affiliated to no area, to no person. No one can tell you that because I wore Mulocate clothing, that's why Mulocate clothing got big. No one can tell you that. So that's one of the major lessons I learned. That's sick, man. Mm. And then with the Moolah the Mula empire, because yeah. we've got a few businesses now yeah. um, under that label, like yeah. uh, Coven, the, the Kids Club, there's a few when I was looking at <laughs> Yeah, we've got, six, we've got six departments. Yeah, so um, how did you... It's, I think it's still, because I feel like it's still that... That that transition, that transition period, yeah, from the streets into the music and then into the moolah, yeah, and that, because a regular civilian yeah. <laughs> is gonna struggle. You you, you wouldn't you don't, you don't know what to do. You, it's, it's so difficult, man, mm-hmm. to to make it work. And then for someone, did you like finish school and that kind of thing? No. So, so I like that you just said that they don't know what to do, bro. I didn't know what to do. Yeah, so it's that, that, <laughs> so that, that learning. It's yeah, the resilience to... <laughs> and the bottom of your stomach that needs to be strong to make you keep going. Because when you don't know what to do, you hit brick walls when you lose money. It's easy to turn around. It's easy to quit. It's easy just to go and get a job. I've had one job in my whole life. My CV's that long. Not with jobs, with businesses, with, 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 with events, with companies, with different stuff that I've done. And... I think once you start seeing success, it gets addictive. And you start realizing, I can do it. It does work. People do believe in me. I, I believed in myself and I got a result. So yeah, the transitions from all those things is learning. And I'll give you an easy way. And I want you to capture this. This is the easy way that I really started to realize my journey. I was a drug dealer. Then I was a hustler. Then I was an entrepreneur. And most recently, I've become a businessman and an educator. And overall, I'm an investor. An investor who invests into people and myself. So that's the transitions. And a lot of people get all of these titles wrong. They get them mixed up. They think an entrepreneur is a businessman. They think a hustler is a drug dealer. They think a, it's, they're getting it confused. And if you understand each one then you'd understand what position you're in and more of a higher level of that knowledge is four quadrants if you understand what quadrant you're in you would understand what position you are in in life whether you're employed self-employed business owner or an investor and when you know what quadrant you're in you have to establish what quadrant another person's in to understand how you're going to communicate on what level so yeah. where do you get that kind of a mindset from that that hard work you know that I'm going to make it work, that success, that hard ethic type mindset. Should I be honest? Where? I think I got it from my dad watching him sell drugs. 
he starts it from nothing. That man has started from nothing and just builds and builds it and it's just mad. And then we get raided. This is the first time I've ever said this to Kemi. Like we'll get raided, they'll take his drugs and tomorrow he'll just build it up again. <laughs> like don't give up. You get me? Yeah, bad things happen to my dad. Bad things. Kidnap him and bad things. Yeah, love my dad. Proper serious. And this is why even down to the single parent tough, I'm mad. I'm upset that a lot of black kids don't have their fathers. Because I tell you the truth, it makes a big difference. If not 50, 80% difference in terms of father figure, in terms of male figure, in terms of learning to see things through a different eyesight. Being a male compared to a female. A female will say, oh, don't worry. A male might say, oh, you have to get cut and hurt sometimes, you know, to start fi whatever. It's just two different ways of seeing stuff. And I believe without my dad, I wouldn't even be half the man I am today. It's just funny mm. you say that, you know, because it reminds me of a story, well, what my parents used to say. So when I was in school, my mum used to say to me, if someone hits you, go and tell the teacher. You so see? My dad used to tell me, if someone hits you, hit me. <laughs> two different mindsets. Now it's up to you. You got two different decisions to make now. You understand? Whereas one time you just got this decision, this decision, this. It's not fair. Yeah. So it's very important. You know what I mean? But yeah, seeing my dad, his resilience to not giving up, to wanting to make it. Like, my dad's funny. My dad likes dressing. My dad likes nice stuff. Like, when I said my house was worth nearly a million pounds, I'm talking about, you guys probably know pine flooring through laminated floor yeah when pine flooring was originally came out to have pine flooring you must be rich because you have to get your actual floor sanded down to make it look like nice i had pine walls at that time <laughs> so all the people in chelsea had pine floors i had pine walls <laughs> you see it i say hard things mud <laughs> yeah but like I said, I've come in before and there's cockroaches everywhere. I'm eating pot noodles and dumpling. You get me? It's serious. I guess with that life, you get a lot of volatility that comes with it. Volatility, yeah. dog. It's <laughs> unsurety. It's this anxiety. It's, it's all of it. And that's why I think this life's not cut out for everyone. Drug dealers have more advantage than the average normal person. Why? Because they've, they've dealt with anxiety a lot more than the average person. Travelling with drugs breeds anxiety. Sitting in a kitty's house, in a, in a cat's house, a drug, drug user's house, breeds anxiety. Not sure if you're going to be robbed, breeds anxiety. You see, going through that up and down emotion, of that emotional roller coaster of not having money, having money, losing it, having to pay back, not paying back, it's like unsurety. So when you're over here and you're unsure if it's going to happen, but nothing can happen, you're not going to die. You don't go to jail. You're not going to get robbed. That's like a walk in the park. Mm -hmm. That's why I've become so successful. I promise you. Over here, it's a walk in the park for me, mate. I'll start another company tomorrow, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you that for free. What? Yeah. I might lose my money. Oh, what? Yeah. What else? Tell me something. Am I going to die? Am I going to go to prison? Am I going to get robbed? All right, cool. How did you get into the tech? Okay, uh, get into the tech now is my man, Gary V. You know who Gary V is? Yeah. That's my guy. Gary V follows Dexter Sims. 
Oh, seriously? Yeah, 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 guy. <laughs> My guy, Gary V, follows me on Instagram. He follows me on Twitter. Shouts out, V Friends, NFT for life. You see it? So how I got into tech was, I would say I've loved tech all my life, hence why I've got my Rayman stories. Shout yeah. out to Rayman stories, I'm recording you, you're recording me, you see it? Um, I've liked tech all my life just because, because I had that life of having a lot of money and not having a lot of money. I've gone through a stage of having older friends and I've got the money, they don't have the money, but I can't go out without them. So it's like, I'm taking them funfair, but they're taking me funfair. So I say that to say this, I had a lot of gadgets when I was young. I had every single computer, as much as I said, sometimes they got sold, but I had every single computer, I'm a gadget man. But I've never been on the other side of being involved in the gadget. So when I got older now, I would say learning about cryptocurrency, learning about NFTs through Gary V gave me the eye opener to how computer games are connected to financial education and how both of them are connected to the real world. And how all of them have an effect on a household and mental health. It's like everything rolls into one. Do you see it? How... Oh, music just started. Okay. Um, how technology is in gaming, financial education is in gaming, and all of them are affecting a community or all of them are affecting a household. So going through and learning NFTs, I started wanting to learn. I wanted to learn. I don't think we want to learn no more. Since we've left school, no one wants to learn. Think about what I'm saying. From you left school, do you want to learn? No, because you think learning's finished. How can you think learning's finished and everything they taught you in school doesn't have much effect on what you're going to go through for the rest of your life? So that means you've got a lot of learning to do. So once I started learning more about finances, I realised I don't know nothing. So I wanted to learn more. So I started reading more, I started learning more, I started investing more. And I learn more hands-on. So I'm very practical. So that's why I've had such a crazy career. Because that's how I learn. I haven't been to Harvard. I haven't been to college. I haven't been to uni. I have an office in a university. I don't have a university degree. I'm taking over a whole university for Black Tech Day. I don't have a university degree. This is how I learn. By carving out my own lane. Mm. Talk about the Black Tech Day. Like what it is. And yeah. what you hope to achieve with it as well. Brilliant. Now, the Black Tech Day, which is happening August 19th, August 20th, 2023, um, across four floors of London South Bank University, it's literally the best thing I've attempted in my life, I believe. It is the biggest thing I'm about to attempt in my life, I believe. And I've literally done big things like with Rick Ross. I've literally done big things, 2,000 people in a family fun day in a park. I've, you know, I've won awards. I've had children. These are the magical things that's happened in my life. But this is so magical to me because I really believe that it's going to make a huge impact. I believe that it's, it stands for something which is detrimental, which is there's not enough black people in technology. I'm talking between 2009 and 2019, 0.024% of venture capitalists invested into black companies. That's less than 38 companies in a 10-year period. So, you know, we don't know black CEOs, black technicians, and I feel like that's the higher end. Let's just talk about the lower end. When AI and stuff kicks in, and I call them the lower end jobs, which a lot of our black people have, warehouse operative, cashier, delivery driver, these type of jobs are gonna be taken over by robots. 
and AI. What we now need is a skill set. When you have a skill set, you can charge and you can earn money. So what I'm telling you is the reason for Black Tech Day is because the jobs that are now going to be on show or needed, our children will not be able to fulfill them because we are not being taught the right skill sets around finances, around technology, around gaming, around blockchain. So therefore, if they're not going to have the skill sets to fulfill those future jobs, and these low-end jobs are going to be taken up by AI, what's going to happen with our children? And I don't mean because they're free now. I'm talking anyone who's 11, 12, 20, you, anyone who's under 25 right now, life's going to get mad hard. They're going to take away money in a minute. There's only going to be CBDC. It's going to be very controlled. And if you don't understand what financial freedom actually means, it doesn't mean having a lot of money. It means having the freedom to spend your money how you want. And with CBDC, you might not have that freedom. So this is the importance of Black Tech Day. I think the, the learning should never stop, man. The world is so dy- dynamic. Things AI popped into everyone's, like, chat GPT come about when? Just, I don't even know when, but it's not that long ago. And now it's taking over the world. Like, Got AI, 100 million subscribers in the first week. So it's things Faster than so Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, faster than all of them. Things are moving so quickly, man. The learning should never stop, man. So in order to stay on top of things mm-hmm. as well. Um, we've, you, you've got like, a few businesses you ran and are running and mm-hmm. working on and talking to Building, yeah, people. Yeah. Uh, when I remember when I spoke to you before, and you was like, "Yeah, I just finished the call with the mayor." Like, just, <laughs> just <laughs> name dropping. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. doing few few things, man. Um, hats off again. Appreciate. Um, it, I know I keep saying it, but I do respect it. No, and no, I appreciate it. it. Trust me, because you know yeah. to hear it is nice because you don't want to blow your own trumpet, yeah. and to hear it means that people are observing and seeing what you do. Uh, oh, I respect it. I respect mm-hmm. it, especially when you talk about your background, where you come from, and what you're doing now. It's, mm. it's commendable, man. Uh, how do you balance so with the entrepreneurship and the financial side of it sort of making money but also the wanting to give back and the social impact as well how do you balance both of those things very hard and I say it's very hard because I've got a big heart and I want to help everyone I want to help children I want to help teenagers I want to help parents I want to help boroughs I want to help countries so it's like the balance is knowing I don't have enough to give to everyone but understanding I have the capacity to build things that can help everyone. That's the first time I said that, and I think it was beautifully said. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's understanding that I don't have the capacity to help everyone, but I have the understanding that I have, there is the opportunity to build something that can help everyone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. No, I mean, I can see that when you say you've got a big heart I mean I can see it with your the children's club you know mm-hmm. um, of course and all these different things we've got one of your mentees in the cut mm-hmm. I don't know if she wants a name drop so yeah that's cool we've got, we got Tamika <laughs> in the building you get yeah. me yeah so yeah yeah no of course I see it I see it with with you and the actions speak a lot louder than the words as well yeah everything that you've done man so mm. that's it man that's a very important point to me though in a world where every single person every you know, they nearly say, not, not every, but not, then they say, don't say never, but I mean every as well. Every person's got a mouth. So that means everyone can talk. But actions speak louder than words. So really, your actions need to be more than what you're saying. We need to stop posting, stop talking, start doing, and we'll see a lot more change. What advice would you give to someone who's come from a similar background to you if they wanted to transition into entrepreneurship and just make a it's possible. change in their life? It's possible that's my saying it's possible 
You know, like it's possible when you're in a position where you always think it's not possible, you need to first know it's possible. When you know it's possible, then you start having faith. When you have faith, then you work towards your goals. So when I'm saying, and if I was to say it in a more negative way, negative street, drugs, gang affiliation, it's closing up. It's closing up. It's closing up. There's too many cameras. There's too much listening. There's too much, like when, <laughs> see when the youth say I'm going country, do they think it's a new country? <laughs> do, they, do they think they're going to another area that's never been before? Or do they think in the last 20 years, there's been a hundred different drug dealers going to these areas? So in these areas, what do you think has been happening over these hundred years? They've been getting more and more sophisticated, more and more different police um, services, more and more different cameras, etc. So my words of wisdom to another person watching this who come from my background, that firstly, it is possible. And secondly, focus on your skills. I don't change what I do. And I need you to take this in. I'm very good at selling. So I keep selling. I'm very good at talking and negotiating. So I keep negotiating. I'm very good at bringing people together or having people's attention on a product. So I do the same thing. All my skill sets from there, I've just bring across here. The main thing I made you realize is all that anxiety I don't have over here because I ain't scared of you, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know what, yeah, I'm, I'm clocking the time, yeah. We're going way over. Way over, yeah. right, okay. And yeah. I got to get to one, I got things yeah, to get yeah, at one o'clock. Yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah, yeah. Got, this is what I'm saying, well, we got I, things I, to do. Well, I'm telling you, you bro, I could have, because there's a lot of things, yeah, that I've, I've written down, yeah. I've touched. And we could have delved into so many oh, things. Oh, bless you, my brother. Hit me with three firing questions, I'll give you fire answers. Fire, oh. <laughs> I'll give you some fire answers. Go on, All right. say me three ones. Let's, <laughs> let's do that then. No sentences. Let's see. Uh, Just how, so you got some more content. Uh, Go on. How has the world of entrepreneurship shaped your understanding of freedom? Oh, that's beautiful. Okay, cool. Freedom. Not everybody wants freedom. You know why? Freedom is about managing your time. And not everybody likes managing their own time. So when you go to work, you get told what, to, what time to come and work, what time you have lunch, what time you're allowed to go home. When lockdown came and you had to decide all of that for yourself, it got stressful. People wanted to go home. So when you're an entrepreneur, you understand that you have to fulfill your time with management, with, without getting bored, whatever it is. So being an entrepreneur made me realize I need to create stuff that, that I can leverage that gives me more time to be free. So a lot of the time when I go into colleges and in schools, they ask me, right, you're an entrepreneur, right, you own your own business, right, you're rich. How much money you got? I tell them, don't worry about my money. I got freedom. And that's what entrepreneurship gives you. That's it, man. Mm -hmm. That's it. All right, we do one more. Yeah. yeah. Uh, all right, yeah, this one's nice, actually, to finish up. Mm -hmm. If you can leave the, our audience with one key action, one key bit of advice that they can take on board to drive some change in their own life, in their communities, just to do better, what would that be? If I can give one piece of advice to leave everyone in the world, please read more. I promise you now. Every time I've read a book, I've changed my life for the better and for positive, and it's created more opportunities for me. Please read as much as you can, especially books. Yeah? Outwitting the devil. 
I mean, seven habits of highly effective people. I mean, cash flow quadrant. I mean, zero to one. These books are the most powerfulest books that you can, richest man in Babylon. Please read that will give you the knowledge that you need to succeed. Nice one. That's it, bro. Yeah. That's, that's <laughs> it, bro. Thank you. No worries, my bro. No worries. Yeah, Thank you yeah. for having me. You get me? Nice. Make sure you like, subscribe, watch, listen, share, tell a friend to tell a friend. Uh, Download the yeah, podcast. You see it? All right. <laughs> so, yeah, if you know, to wrap up, yeah? yeah. If people want to keep up to date with you, all your things and that kind of stuff, so, mm-hmm. how can they best do so? So I'm going to give my socials, but I want to give a little bit of advice on that. I want people to understand we live in a world which is digital world. So if you don't have a digital footprint, then you're kind of non-existent. So really, I can just say, if you type Dexter Sims into Google, you'll find everything. If you type Mula Cake into Google, you'll find everything. That's how it, that's how digital works. But you know, if you want a bit more specific, www.dextersims.com, that's my website. And again, like I said, just type in Mula Cake, you'll get Mula Cake Clothing, Kids Club, Bake Off, Motivation, and Mula Cake Bakery. Last one. Yeah. Perfect, man. Thank you for coming <laughs> out once again. Bless you, my That's brother. Nice. Thank you for having me, man. Yeah, Thank man. you for having me. Thank you, bro, man. Just much appreciate it. Much appreciate it, man. And yeah, if you're listening, if you ain't subscribed yet, please do subscribe. It makes a massive, massive difference. Awesome. Massive difference. We're trying to get 1,000 people, get some inspiration stories out there. So subscribe, share, like. Tell your friends that you've shared it too to subscribe as well, to share and to like it with their friends as well. So that's that. Thank you for coming on, people. No, uh, thank you for coming on, Dexter. Much yes. appreciate once again. hundred uh, percent, man. Thank 1, you for having me. You get me? Yeah. One thousand of us. Yeah. You get me? Yeah. One thousand voices. We have Dexter 1, Sims in the building. One thousand voices. Is it? We're out, man. That's it. And we're out. Back to work now.